The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 8. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanratty. This week, we come to the end of Act 1, Scene 1, and our triumvirate of Horatio, Marcellus and Bernardo finally get to go inside and get out of the cold. The average playing time for Shakespeare's plays is approximately 1,000 lines per hour. At such a rate, our present scene, performed without any cuts, would take about 10 minutes, or the length of a single one of these podcasts. Of course, the entire point of this project is to dive in a little deeper and examine this play at a level that would be impossible in live performance, but it's worth noting that even this introductory scene of three men and a ghost up on the battlements has so much information to be mined. Last week's episode saw the ghost disappearing as he realised that dawn was coming. Then Horatio gave us some background as to the manner in which certain ghosts do their haunting. Now Marcellus chimes in, giving further explanation of why the ghost fled when he heard the rooster heralding the dawn. It faded on the crowing of the cock. Some say that ever against that season comes, wherein our Saviour's birth is celebrated, the bird of dawning singeth all night long, and then they say no spirit dares stir abroad. The nights are wholesome, then no planets strike, no fairy takes, nor witch hath power to charm, so hallowed and so gracious is the time. I must confess that this is for me one of the most beautiful passages in the play. As so often in Shakespeare, it's in the mouth of a character who won't get much else to say for the rest of the story, but here we get this gorgeous, peaceful description of the quiet of Christmas time. One of my favourite things about Christmas is the feeling of the world slowing down, of people taking time off and making time for each other, and this little segment always comes to mind for me. Some say that ever against that season comes, wherein our Saviour's birth is celebrated, the bird of dawning, the rooster, singeth all night long. Nothing too complicated to unpack here, apart from the perhaps nuisance of having a cock crowing all the way through the night, but it is notable that this is the first explicit Christian reference identifying Denmark as a Christian country. We've had references to heaven, and to a surprisingly wide variety of Greek and classical deities, but this is the first to Christ, as Marcellus calls him, our saviour. We will have much to discuss on this point as we journey through the play, particularly to do with Horatio's philosophy, but this is the first landmark that we pass. And then they say, no spirit dares stir abroad, unlike tonight, wherein this figure so like the dead king has been stalking abroad. At Christmas, by contrast, the nights are wholesome, then no planets strike. What Shakespeare means by this is that no evil influence can be exerted by the planets in their astrological orbits. There are something like a hundred references to astrology in Shakespeare. The zodiac, the planets and so on were a rich source of reference for him. No fairy takes. Here we have a difference between the two primary source texts. The folio says that no fairy talks, but the quarto, our main text, says takes. I prefer this, since there's a little more ambiguity to it. Perhaps Marcellus means that no fairy can steal any children, which we know from as far back as A Midsummer Night's Dream could be a concern. Or perhaps no fairy can exert any negative influence, like the planets, and thereby no such malevolence or illness takes. 
It's all wound up in what Marcellus has to say here, a little symphony of potential. No fairy takes, nor witch hath power to charm. There are references to witches in a surprising majority of Shakespeare's plays. His world was obsessed with them, and this fascination increased in the early years of the 17th century when King James took the throne. Indeed, our clever playwright went on to write a play utterly filled with them just to please the king. But that's another story. Perhaps we will graduate to something like a Macbeth podcast in the early 2020s when this Danish journey will finally conclude. But for now, no fairy takes, no witch hath power to charm, so hallowed and so gracious is the time. Marcellus' evocation of the quiet of late December ends with holiness and grace. Ah, it's just so beautiful, I love it. In the show notes, I'm going to share another beautiful Christmas poem, which likewise attempts to evoke that quiet, gentle peace at the end of the year. And I really hope you'll like it as much as I do. Horatio concurs with Marcellus. So have I heard, and do in part believe it. But look, the morn in russet mantle clad walks o'er the dew of yon high eastward hill. You'd be forgiven for thinking that Shakespeare is just showing off here. All he needs to have Horatio communicate is that the sun is coming up. The cock has crown, so of course the next step is for the dawn to break. The timing of this scene is not quite realistic in that we've had over the course of 10 minutes gone from a little after midnight to sun up, but nonetheless, the cock has crown, so of course the next step is for the dawn to break. And we get this luscious image, the morn in russet mantle clad walks o'er the dew of yon high eastward hill. But even within this splendid image, there's still narrative at work. Bad weather, literal or metaphorical, is coming. Way back in Venus and Adonis, several years earlier, Shakespeare had explained, Like a red morn that ever yet betokened, wreck to the seamen, tempest to the field, sorrow to the shepherds, woe unto the birds, gusts and foul flaws to herdsmen and to herds. Or, as I learned it, red sky at night, shepherds' delight, red sky in the morning, shepherds' warning. For all of his gentle scepticism and rational thought, Horatio has agreed in part with Marcellus, and now he sees this red sunrise dawning. Something is up. It's not until Act 1, Scene 4 that the said Marcellus gets the apocryphal line about something rotten in the state of Denmark, but it's no harm mentioning it now. This dawn is red. Horatio continues, and we get a very important new mention. Break we our watch up, and by my advice, let us impart what we have seen tonight unto young Hamlet. For upon my life this spirit, dumb to us, will speak to him. Our scholar suggests that they end the watch, and go tell young Hamlet what they have seen tonight. Finally, finally, we get a mention of what presumably will be our title character. For the audience watching the first performance of the play at the Globe, this was hugely important. For every audience since, there's been the expectation of the melancholy prince eventually holding a skull. But here is the first mention in the play that there is a young Hamlet, rather than the play having to be about the dead king who gave him the name. The scene is almost over, and yet in these closing moments our interest is piqued. Who is the young prince? And what impact might he have on the events of the story? 
Horatio is convinced that the spirit, no longer this thing, even for our doubting Thomas, will speak to the prince, so they'd better find a way of getting him to come up to the battlements with them. The plot is thickening. Horatio is eager to keep these men on his side in this. Do you consent we shall acquaint him with it, as needful in our loves, fitting our duty? Poor Bernardo. Remember Bernardo? Well, he doesn't get a word in, but Marcella speaks for both of them. Let's do it, I pray, and I this morning know where we shall find him most conveniently. And with that, all three of them go inside, drawing this first scene to a close. So much information has come our way in this first 170 lines or so. Shakespeare has established the political, religious and historical world of the play. He's given us a very curious supernatural problem of a dead king haunting his battlements, clearly with something he needs to resolve before he can be at rest. The country is likewise gearing up for war, as are its neighbours in Norway, led by their young prince. There are a good few questions we might still have about the state of affairs in Denmark. First of all is, for me at least, who is in charge? If the King Hamlet is dead, and his son Prince Hamlet is still only prince, who is currently king? Shakespeare doesn't leave us in the dark for too long, of course, and all is revealed immediately once we get into Act 1, Scene 2, which will begin our next episode. Thank you for joining me this week, and as ever, you can find show notes for this podcast and the links to previous episodes on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. If you haven't signed up for the podcast's mailing list, please be sure to do so, as the monthly newsletter and digest is coming tomorrow. You can download the show from wherever you like to get your podcasts, and please do subscribe, share or retweet, or indeed leave us some feedback so that we can continue to get the word out. It's very much appreciated. I'll be back next week with a new episode on Sunday when we will finally begin Act 1, Scene 2, and I hope you'll join me then.